Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the grounded pixie dice set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking about time-saving tips. Today we're talking to Mott Crook. How's it going, Mott? It's going well. I hope y'all are doing well too. Yep. Yeah. So I think time-saving tips, this is, it's kind of a big topic because there's all kinds of things that you can do, but it's, I think it's something that can be really useful because I know personally when I'm trying to get ready for a session, like everybody has a life outside of D&D and Sometimes as a DM, you've just got other things going on. And then it's game day. You've got two hours until uh, until your campaign. Or maybe you've just got other things going on during the week. You can only find a little bit of time here and there. Is that, before I continue down this <laughs> this path, is that kind of what you were, what you mean by time-saving tips? Like not having yeah. to spend as much time uh, prepping? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And um, time saving tips for while things that can words help during a session. Um, Yeah, just things that make your time during the session go faster as well. Okay, so I think we'll think it makes sense to start with with uh, time saving tips for when you're preparing and then we'll move on into during the session where I definitely have some questions for you. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so let's let's start with uh, when you're trying to prep for a session or prep for a campaign, what are just let's start off with some tips that you've got for that. So uh, I once heard an interview. I don't know how long ago it was. It was years ago with Jeremy Crawford and he suggested one hour of prep time. And I think he was talking about for like one hour for uh, maybe every four hours uh, that you're going to be playing a game. Um I, I don't remember the exact number. I latched onto the one hour because <laughs> uh, throughout the week, I usually can find about that much, even if it's an accumulation, like you said, just little moments here and there. So that's what I really try to do is to just take an hour. Now, this is hard for me because um, I have always had a hard time focusing and a hard time studying. So my... The way that I like in school, uh, I would just study for a long time and I would have to reread and reread things that sometimes, um, but that obviously would take longer than an hour if I did that. So I've had to let go of that, um, trying to get things exactly right. This isn't a test. Um, This is a game and, uh, and it's a cooperative game. So if I don't have anything just perfect, um, I'm trying to let go of that and let spontaneity be a part of it. And if I make a mistake, then so what? I'll admit that I made a mistake. Or if it's a mistake in the story, 
Um, if I'm doing something that's not quite written that way, I try to let it go and just try to do it as fun as possible, the best way I know how. I think you, you said something in there that's actually a really important thing to know. It's like, yeah, this this isn't a test. It's it's a game. It's meant to be fun. You're playing it with your friends. You're you're making something with them. It's I think it's important to remember that because I know sometimes I'm like, especially before I start a campaign, I'm like, oh, oh my God, I need to know all these things. I need to decide on all these things. And then like I don't end up even using most of them. Yes, that was the other problem with that. I mean, uh, one problem is that uh, by me trying to get everything exactly right and make sure that I study this this story really well um, is that it takes too long. Uh, but then the other thing that you just said is that oftentimes it means that I'm over-preparing um, and a lot of what I'm preparing is going to be a waste of time because this is shared storytelling and the players are going to take things in a different direction or skip whole areas. That was definitely something I ran into with the first campaign that I did was I, I spent way too much time building an entire world. And it was something that I was kind of kicking myself afterwards, especially with some of the interviews that we did, realizing that like I should not have built an entire world with four continents and a thousand year history. Like I could have just gotten by with here's the tiny little area that you start in and going from there. Because I think it's it's a it's a trap and from talking to DMs on this show, it's something that I've noticed is that the people who DM tend to want to do a lot of that work. They tend to get drawn into it because for DMs, it's kind of the fun part sometimes of building a world of putting together backstories for major NPCs and historical events and stuff like that. But like you, you and Jesse both said, it's something that more often than not, like unless you've got a group of players who are really into all of the backstory most of it is stuff that you're not going to use or you're going to have to end up changing and it can be a huge time saver to just go i only need to prep the stuff needed for this first session that's all i need yes that is another thing for me too is that i i try to only prep what i'm going to need for that day um and um one of the things that i do uh, too, I find that when I'm when I do have this stuff, um, and I I've really really prepared, and I know that first this is gonna happen, and I do these checks, I, and then this is gonna happen. When I have it really rigid like that, and I've memorized the story super well, I am rigid in DMing as well, and I can't hear when the players come up with some really cool stuff that uh, that I could really let go of this stuff that I've studied and go with them on this adventure. Um, that That is another reason why I wanted to uh, really practice uh, letting go of these study skills that have <laughs> that helped me as a kid uh and as an adult for some things but in this case i feel like because um the players are just as much of the story as what i'm doing i can let some of that stuff go. yeah it's definitely a pitfall when you when a dm comes up with a whole bunch of backstory there's a tendency to want to get that out in front of the players and let them play around with it but you're right then you miss out on the stuff that the players come up with during session that i'm not saying it's better or worse than what you've come up with but it's definitely more fun for the players if they've got a hand in what's going on yeah also, yeah and if i can do that it lets let some of the pressure off of me as well yeah. 
I also just quickly want to say that um, being able to notice a flaw in your DMing, like if you overprepare, you become too rigid, is really difficult. Um, so it's, it's I'm really impressed that you were able to notice the, about that, that about how you ran and work to fix it. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, really, f I, I do find it fun to prepare as a DM, which is, which is good. It, it's kind of like um, coming up with your character's backstory and everything, only you're coming up with or, or really learning uh, all these NPC backstories and how they act and plot points and stuff like that. That stuff's fun. Uh, but when it comes to actually DMing, um, it's more fun to um, share that story. So when it comes to sitting down to actually prep for a session, what are some things that you do to try and keep your, your session prep to, like you said, just about an hour? Well, if I'm doing a one shot or an encounter, if, if we've been running an adventure, um, and I, I know that because they're traveling, we're going to do some encounters. Then that's pretty easy because you can find lots of encounters that have already been written and uh, try to change them to incorporate them to into what's uh, been going on in the, in the adventure that uh, the players have been running so far. I can find encounters on DMs Guild, can find encounters in, you know, some of the uncaged uh, modules. With the with the one shots and the encounters that you can get off the DMs Guild, you can pretty much find something that you can insert into an ongoing adventure. And those are already set up so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. wheel. Usually you can read them in an hour um, pretty easily. And, um, and then I, uh, I like to print them on single-sided, uh, paper and so that I can cut out, uh, the provided stat blocks. I cut them out and I paperclip them to the page where that character or that creature appears. That was actually uh, something that I started doing when I was playing, uh, in person around a table was that my first step would be to figure out like, okay, they're going... They're planning to go into a dungeon, so I'm going to map that out quickly on graph paper, and I'll make some notes on there as to, like, oh, there might be a trap here and stuff like that. And then I would usually go to uh, the Kobold Fight Club, which is an online tool that's amazing for putting together encounters because it does all the math as to whether it's easy, medium, or hard. Mm -hmm. um, but once I'd done that, I would find um, – there's a tool that I found online. I can't remember what the URL is, but um, – it let me create these three inch by six inch monster cards uh, that would have all of their stats, their attacks, list of spells if they had it. They might the card might get a little long if it was something like a lich that's got bazillion spells, but it let me put together just really fairly quickly a little packet that I could just paperclip together of here's the map, here's the list of monsters, and maybe here's the item cards because they're going to find some magic items that I can pass out to the players. Do you remember what that program was called? I think it, I think it was, um, I want to say like Monster Codex RU or something. It's, it's a site that um, it has two, two parts to it. Um, one of them is a, uh, is a site that lets you create um, create these like monster stat blocks and everything. And it's 
uh, it's a little tricky to edit because you have to like build it in a in a CSV or an Excel file. And then the other part of the site is something that lets you make um, spell cards and item cards. That website is hardcodex.ru. That's it. Yeah. And it's thanks, a, Jesse. No problem. It's a it's a fantastic site if you need to print out um, monster cards, and they also. I am not recommending it, but they also have, I think, all of the spell cards, basically like printable versions of all the spell cards. I don't know what the legality is. So I'm just going to say it's there. I'm mm-hmm. not saying if you should use it or yeah, not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, <laughs> yeah. It's been a long time since I've looked at it, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's just the um, the stuff that's free under the license or not. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's it's a pretty the 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 monster part is pretty great because the thing that I like about it is that you can create uh, cards, these monster stat blocks for homebrew stuff. It's a little tricky to wrap your head around how the CSV thing works. But um, once you get the hang of it, then it's fairly straightforward because you can, you know, stuff that you find on, on Reddit or Twitter or Tumblr, like these really cool monsters that come with you know somebody might have created a pdf but you don't need that full page with an image you just need a small little index card that tells you you know how hard they hit and how often they hit and what's their hp mm-hmm. um i posed this question uh for a couple of times between when you asked me to to be on your show and now and one of the people at sean coons said that they write um the stats out just on a piece of paper um, which is which is easy but then also um some of the stuff uh that you were talking about just now sean uh is also available on dnd beyond now that's true Um, you can you can do um you can uh look at your apl and plan out um monster encounters there um if I have internet, which for my two weekly uh, games, I do, I do have internet. Um, I just pull up those um, stat blocks onto. Um, I just prepare my internet with the tabs for each encounter, and uh, I have that ready to go before um, before I get to uh, the library or, or the the store that I'm going to to DM. One of the things that I like about the the Kobold Fight Club is that um, I think one of the ways that they skirt some of the licensing stuff is that the only thing that they have in in the Kobold Fight Club is the name of the monster and what book and page you can find it on and its challenge rating. It doesn't have any of the stats. So they have stuff from the, the monster manual, all of the official books, and they've actually started populating the Kobold Fight Club with some of the more popular monsters from like the Unearthed Arcana subreddit and I think uh, some other homebrew sites. Oh, like uh, Monster of the Day and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah, and when I've used Kobold Fight Club, if they didn't have the creature I was looking for, I just found uh, an equivalent creature or uh, another creature with the equivalent uh, challenge rating. Yeah. And, and that would tell me the same information if like how many of those critters can fight my party although one one thing that i have found is that sometimes with the homebrew stuff that you find out online it might say that it's challenge rating one you know one quarter but you know they haven't play tested enough to realize that oh if you have six of them then it is not an easy encounter anymore yeah 
I don't have as much uh, familiarity with um, homebrew creatures. I um, I've reskinned, but I've never. I don't even know the first step to creating a monster from scratch. Oh, neither do I. I just find stuff that people have made online. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've made a handful of them, and they do not balance well. At least according, because uh, the DMG has instructions for how to make homebrew stuff using a lot of the abilities and stuff that already exists within the game but it's um can be difficult to find a proper balance my my understanding is that homebrewing monsters i like i would rather leave it to the people that do it because they have it seems like they've got the time to make them and play test them because that's i think where the belt where the like secret sauce of homebrewing a monster comes in is having people that you can just or even just having the time to sit down and you know, mock up a battle with a couple of, you know, fake characters and figure out how powerful or underpowered something is because the challenge rating is kind of still a guide even with all the calculations and everything and figuring out that, you know, oh, this, the, you know, as calculated, the challenge rating is one half, but it actually plays more like a one or a two challenge rating is something that mm -hmm. only comes from playtesting. But we're talking about time-saving tips and not spending a whole bunch of time playtesting. Well, no, I think <laughs> that's part of it too because a lot of people do want to um, create their own monsters and like, what is the most time-saving way that we can do that? I don't know. I guess reskinning. <laughs> I think, I, yeah, I think reskinning is the fastest. Like. There's a monster that I want to bring in in my campaign, and it's basically a huge, giant, house-sized wasp. And I could spend a bunch of time trying to see if somebody's already homebrewed it or um, or trying to do it myself, but I'm just going to take like a black dragon, uh, young black dragon or something, and reskin it. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. I just need something that's got toughness, and maybe uh, I might swap out some magical resistances or something, but it doesn't yeah. need to be something i spend weeks on i just i need it for one encounter and then i'm done yeah yeah one amazing encounter <laughs> that thing stinger is gonna be like a lance yep it's <sighs> make a magic <laughs> item out of it for them if they think if they decide that they're gonna loot the body afterwards then for sure they're going to get a weird lance out of it yes <laughs> um so we've kind of been talking, like so far we've kind of drifted towards encounters and and mm -hmm. that part of preparing for a session. What about if you've got like social stuff that's, you know, they're not combat encounters, but they're still like, you know, they've got to go and talk to some townsfolk to try and track somebody down. Like how do you, how do you prep for that kind of stuff in a way that doesn't end up, you know, taking you several hours of plotting out dialogue trees or whatever? <laughs> Yeah. Um, one of the things that I use um, to try to um, figure out like some backstory for a NPC to if uh, to really flesh them out um, for a if I think that they're going to spend a lot of time talking to that NPC. Um, if I'm not super inspired, I'll roll story dice. Um, those are the dice that you can get from like uh, game stores that just have pictures on the dice. Have you seen those? I th yeah. think so, yeah. I've been and meaning so, to get some, actually. Yeah. Um, I use it for my writing. 
and and this is like a big part of it when I'm stumped or um yeah if it's if the ideas aren't just flowing out of me really quickly then I'll roll some dice and if I uh roll something that has a witch and a rainbow and a storm <laughs> then I can come up with some ideas uh where maybe this NPC was raised by a hag and um and uh something happened that transported them away from that <laughs> from that hag uh to where now they're kind of lost in this uh area trying to find their way back um although i, I have to say really quickly the the combination of, of hag rainbow and storm if you flip if you put storm at the front it's almost a three picture summary of uh wizard of oz that's huh. what that's what uh <laughs> that's what that um those three uh things that i just threw out reminded me of <laughs> only this person was on in oz and got uh transported um to the real world <laughs> um building off of the story dice though um there's two things that i've i've found one is i know that there are i don't know what company sells them but i've i've seen them i think it's I think it might be Paizo makes them, but there are, um, you can get decks of NPC cards. And I think lots of people have made these for like the DMs Guild or uh, Drive Through RPG. It's basically like you can buy printable decks of NPC cards so that if you, if the players run into a store and you're either improving or if you're beforehand and you don't know what NPC to put somewhere, you can just draw the top one off the deck. Um, yeah, that's great. I have not seen those. Yeah, Paizo definitely makes like physical decks of those you can buy, and I'm sh I'm sure there are a bunch of other companies that make printable or physical to order. Yeah, ones. and the other thing that I've seen um, is similar to the story dice. There are story decks that are either just images or uh, they might have like a, a couple of prompts on them, so that uh, rather than I mean with a couple of story dice you still have plenty of combinations but blowing that out to a 52 deck card that's even more combinations that you can get out of so that if you're trying to figure out how this you know <laughs> inspirational dream is going to come to your players you've now got a bunch of weird imagery to work with yeah yeah that's great uh, victoria fraser um at comic tory uh also on when i put out the request for for time-saving tips, um, they said that um, they have a, a collect. They keep a collection of NPCs and tr trinkets and items and stuff that people can find. And so I went out and I bought myself a little, a tiny moleskin that will fit in my pocket. And I started writing in there exactly that, some different NPCs that people could run into, and keeping it with me, uh, like it's on the side of my bed right now um keeping it with me anytime i have that inspiration i write it down so i have it for for later that's uh i actually do something similar i just use uh i use google keep on my phone so mm -hmm. that whenever i get an idea for an npc or anything like that i just open that up and uh um and i've got somewhere i can take down notes and i've actually got uh, two D and D specific ones in keep right now. One of them is a, uh, a an idea that I still have to work through for the campaign that I'm working on. But uh, it's a 
one of the islands is going to be a vineyard where the wines, uh, where the wines produced by these vines are going to be weird and magical, and they're going to have all sorts of weird effects. Um, the other one is an NPC name because I, I can't remember where I saw it, but I saw it and I'm like, I need to remember that for an NPC name, and the name is Acosta Skips. Aww, that that's good. a great name. So, I want to meet Acostas. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, having uh, I've. I've already got too much stuff in my pockets. So, but uh, having, yeah, having something like a book or an, a, an app on your phone so that whenever you've got an idea that you can quickly jot it down can be a huge time saver because rather than trying to sit down and force yourself to come up with ideas, if you're just making note of, um, you know, stuff that you see or hear or think of while you're out in the world and it's something that you could use, maybe not for the campaign that you're currently in or maybe just for some future uh, future campaign, having a way to remember that because I know that if I think of something and if I don't write it down, like if I'm on the bus home and I think of something, if I don't write it down, I will have forgotten it by the time <laughs> I get home. Yeah, it's sad. Yes, um, yeah. I would like to just really briefly touch on like the story dice and the story decks idea because I feel like those ideas are really good because they kind of feed into the idea and like writing philosophy that like limitations breed creativity. Because um, mm -hmm. you know if you just need a character and you need it quick and you you know you have unlimited possibilities, you know having something that's like okay uh, something to do with storms. Oh well maybe they're they're angry about something. Okay and then go. I think that helps kind of move you along a lot quicker than just you know for some people anyway. yeah and there's Certainly actually for me. <laughs> specifically for coming up with npcs there's another web-based tool that i used called rpg tinker i think it's oh, rpgtinker.com and it's um it's an npc uh stat generator so you choose what race so they've got the like the base player races and a couple of monster races i think they've got like goblin hobgoblin a couple of other ones but then you can choose like their class are they uh an uh, if they're a magic user are they an evocation magic user or are they a uh, i think it's like holy or something but and then you choose how many hit dice and you can like really quickly generate an npc that's got a little bit more like if you want like a boss goblin or a more powerful hobgoblin who maybe like it'll generate like if you choose um i think the fighter class quote unquote i'm doing the bunny ears thing here um if you choose mm -hmm. the fighter one it'll usually put like multi-attack on the yeah. npc um if you choose one of the magic classes it'll put together a spell list for you and it's i found it it's been a great way to have a fight um you know if you've got a small tribe of goblins out in the wild there's going to be a leader of some kind and you might want that leader to be a little bit more powerful or if you're dealing with a gang you want you know maybe there's a human or whoever that's a little bit more powerful that's got the reason why they're the leader of this gang is that they can attack really quickly or whatever yeah. it is but that's it's great i think it what it does is pulls abilities and spells from srd content and then applies them to templates yeah and it, it usually also has a little bit of a like a one or two sentence blurb about yeah it does about the the the, the pc and you if if you've already got a PC in mind, you're just trying to generate their stats, you can ignore it. But if you're just, it's kind of like, I can't remember, there's another site that's, um, there's a site that like every time you reload the page, it gives you a character idea. Like, oh, yeah. Dragonborn Paladin who's afraid of water or like, 
also yeah. it, they're just really weird character prompts but they can be i think between rpg tinker and that other one they're great ways to just like i just need an npc i am completely blanking on what they could be you just go to a site like that and you just hit reload until something catches your yeah. eye um you know what that that reminds me of another really great resource for that which i think i've found through you you mod on twitter which is that tender D D or something uh-huh. like that where it's oh oh yeah the oh geez it's, it's uh, the bots of like kind of very sweet, nice D and D character ideas. Yes, I think Shing uh, creates that. Wait, Shing uh, Kor Young? Uh, Shing Doyle. Okay, oh. different Shing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wait, no, I'm spacing. I should have looked that up beforehand. That that is a a really good one. Um, I cannot remember what it's called. It's so at tender D and D. Oh, it's it is by Shin uh, Shin Yin Kor, who okay. is uh, All right, yeah. Sada at Sada Spare on Twitter, and has good a, job. and has a really good, uh, really cool like trading program at cons that they do <laughs> sometimes. Sorry. Yeah, Haley Haley knows them. Yeah, yeah, that is a really good one, and it's nice to have some uh, sweet NPCs as well. Uh, not just um, the mission giver or the just the tough tavern brawler. Um, it's nice to have some just nice people that you meet along the way. Yeah, well, the the really amazing thing about Tender D and D too is that like from just a couple of sentences, they give you a pretty good feel for sometimes up to like three or four characters and what their relationship to the world kind of is. Mm-hmm. And to themselves, each other. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you've already mentioned a couple, but I know you reached out to people on Twitter to see if they had any tips. Do you have any other good ones you'd like to share? Well, I had said about one shots and encounters. Those can those are pretty easy. That uh, they're already set up for you to be able to do them, like review them really quickly and be ready to to run with them in probably about an hour. But hardcovers, uh can present a bigger challenge um it can take me like an hour to read the overview and make sure that i have like the whole story idea down um so uh kevin wilson uh said that um when when he uh does a big adventure like that that he only prepares three options at a time so i might read the overview before we start that adventure and then uh, I would plan out three things that I three clues or options that I want to give them but not plan for every single possibility that they have those can come later I think that is really clever and uh, and manageable to just have the three options to read up on so do you do you have like a ready example for what kind of three options? Well, like in Princes of the Apocalypse, um, when you go to uh, Red Larch, um, maybe you would only mention three of the NPCs at first that they pass um, and give give the information, the clues that they give, which are pretty much um, missions. I think one of them talks about the the necromancer in Lance Rock and another one might mention seeing the um, hooded figures going down into the wagon master's uh, cellar and 
maybe you just mentioned the dwarf book, dwarven book. I mean, that's three people that they meet, they can spot when they first come into town. And you only have to have a general idea of what those three missions might take them to. And then they can, then the next day that you, um, uh, after they finish that adventure, then you can have them meet three more people in Red Larch. I think that's one of the things that attracts me to the idea of doing a West Marches campaign is that you don't have to come up with an entire world like we we're talking about before. You can just come up with, okay, they're in this area and here are three things that they can go and do. Because like you said, like if rather than trying to have the players like present them with either too many options or just trying to pull something out of them as to what they might want to do, it's just here are three options. And like what Jesse said before about, you know, um, having restrictions can build creativity. Like if you only have to come up with three, then it's a lot easier than sitting down in front of a paper and being like, ah, I need to come up with a bunch of different things. Yeah. There's all this, there's all this stuff going on. They could go anywhere and that's still true. Um, but for as a DM, if you don't have a lot of time, or you don't have, uh, you you get overwhelmed by uh, having to remember all of that stuff. Like just reading the overview has worked for me, and just for the general idea. And then, like Kevin said, having just the three that I'm prepared for. Yeah, because I think anybody would get overwhelmed on either side of the table if you just say, "Here's a world. You can do anything you want." Like. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of a an unspoken contract with D&D, whether you're playing modules or not, that the DM is going to present you, the players, with some story hooks. And whether those story hooks are, you know, quests from a guild because you're playing a West Marches campaign or it's, you know, some rumors in a tavern because you're starting in a module and those are the suggested rumors that the module has given you, that the DM is going to present the players with some limitations or just a couple of options because wandering into something and being told you can do whatever you want will cause most people to freeze up whether you're a dm trying to figure out the thousand different things that they can do <laughs> or players trying to decide what they want to do when they're just presented with it's a whole world <laughs> yes yeah and and if um as a dm prepping um yeah, they might walk past, like today when they play, they might walk past this door where there's something, you know, there's something really cool going on behind that door. But if you're not ready for it, and that stresses you out too much, then don't mention the door. They don't notice the door yet. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the thing is that like as, as DMs, like if you're playing a, an improv game, there's something amazing behind every door. But I think even improv DMs need to do a little bit of prep and yeah, keeping it down to just a couple of things can save you so much time. But mm -hmm. that's what I'm doing in my game right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things that I am really curious about is if we move on a little bit to once you're actually in the session, how yeah. do you save time there? Because this is kind of a different kind of time savings because before when you're doing prep, the time savings is about not spending all of your free time in front of your computer or with a book and a pen trying to figure out what the next session is about when mm -hmm. you're in a session the time savings 
when when I think of time savings during a session, I'm thinking of how do we get through this content this session without it being a twelve hour session? How do we how do yeah. we make these combats move a little bit faster? How do we um, get those plot hooks out in front of the players so that they can you know step on them and we can start moving mm-hmm. forward? Um, what kind of tips or tricks or even tools do you have for when you're actually in the session and you want to save some time with moving things along? Um. Uh, I theater of the mind can be super helpful uh, for speeding things along, but unless you have players um, or uh, too complicated of an encounter that people can't visualize and, and they're having to ask again and again, okay, how far is this, you know, what all is going on? Um, so theater of the mind, I think is helpful for a lot of situations and you're not having to pull out a map. But when you do, I have a box of, uh, I, I actually have a 1960s um, slide film box container. Have, do you, can you visualize what I'm talking about? Not really. Okay. In the, back in the day when they had to <laughs> print film, they would have little square slides of the film too that you could show in little slide projectors. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, they had different kinds of carrying cases for you to carry around all those slides. Um, so they're trays that have little slots in them for you to slide in each little um, slide. Um, and uh, they're not usable anymore, except if you repurpose them. <laughs> <laughs> and they are the perfect size for minis uh, to lay down in. You can still use the slides as little dividers to um, uh, change the to to keep your minis organized. So I have um, I have a tray that has uh, dwarves, uh, uh, gnomes, elves, humans, and each one of them has a little slot. I keep all of them together, and then I have a little slide, and then I have all the humans and there's a slide so they stay separated and organized. I don't think you don't have to have that. That's just, I I can take a picture of it and send it to y'all. But to have some type of box that is uh, easy to just have, um, I'm running a water adventure. So I know that I'm going to need at some point, a bunch of um, watery creatures, maybe some lizards, um, and just pe- different uh, possibilities of minis all in one box. Then I'm not ha- for, that helps with my prepping. I just always have it ready to go and I just pick it up and go. It's already been put together with all the minis that I might need um, uh, once, and then I pick it up every week when I go to my group, and I don't have to organize it until uh, the next campaign. Um, but to have the trays in there too, um, I know, um, okay, we have run into um, some zombies. I know which tray it is. I pull it out. I pull it out my zombies. And then I have some just uh, little, they look like sorry pieces for if there's a big, a big swarm of creatures, then I will put out a few minis, a few zombies uh, a zombie minis, and then I grab just the sorry pieces to fill in 
um, any pieces that I'm missing. So that's really quick. I don't have to think about it. One of the things that you you mentioned um, before the minis with about theater of the mind is actually something I've got firsthand experience with recently because my previous campaign, we started off playing around a table and then we moved to roll 20 and around the table combat wasn't too bad. Um, It still took a while, but uh, it was better than on roll 20, which I think partially because it's just it's on a computer, people are staring at the screens. It's a little bit easier for people to wander off to Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and you have to pull their attention back. But in my campaign now, we're still playing on Roll20, but it's all theater of the mind, and combat has sped up dramatically. It, and <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I think it helps because there's only three players. So it's, you know, people are getting back to their turn more often. But the thing I noticed um, was just this weekend I played a a one shot uh, that had six players and three of them had never played D&D before. Theater of the mind was definitely a lot for them to wrap their heads around. I think uh, I would have been better off bringing uh, uh, some, you know, even just some graph paper or some paper to draw stuff out on because them trying to wrap their heads around the idea of D&D and theater of the mind was a little bit too much. But yeah, I think. For the most part, theater of the mind is can definitely be a speed things up quite a bit. Yeah, and I don't always, uh, I I don't always um, keep track of oh you're sixty feet away. You know, I I sometimes just I, I'm all you're there. They're within they're within attack uh, melee distance if you want them to be. Yeah, it's something that I picked up from the Edge of the Empire was rather than focusing on how many feet away are you, there's I think of it more as just like range bands where you know, you're far enough away that to get to the 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 this enemy and um you know, get into close combat with them, you're going to have to dash. I don't really know how far away they are. I just know that it'll either take you two turns or you can get there this turn if you dash. Or maybe you're even further away than that. But like, I don't, in theater of the mind, I think this is one of the things that it took me a little while to, like a couple of sessions to get it out of my system. In theater of the mind, you don't care so much about exactly how far away they are. It's more just, do you feel like they're close enough? Cool, they are. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that that can save some time. You're not having to count how many squares away it is. Or try to figure out how many bad guys are covered by this fire spell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And thanks, good, thank goodness we don't have to do flanking anymore. <laughs> oh. You know, like, um, I played 4E, which you basically, you almost had to have a map to play when I first started yeah. playing. Um, and we used flanking, but what I didn't realize is there's also optional rules for facing, which just adds <laughs> so much attention to detail that I'm not interested in. Um, I actually have uh, another suggestion that can help potentially help with like a uh, saving time while playing in combat. And um, I was I had dinner with Lester Lee, who's been on the show before um, the other day, and he was talking about using kind of popcorn initiative, where basically the play every round the players can choose when they go and when the monsters go. Um, and the way it saves time is that it usually makes all of your players focus on what's happening. You don't get mm-hmm. people as much who are, you know, like, oh, you know, I've, I've done my turn. It'll be 
20 minutes or whatever till it's my turn again i'm gonna go on twitter and like you know then they get back and they have to try and figure out what they want to do and all that stuff um apparently the pop like the kind of popcorn initiative system really helps with people thinking ahead because they're trying to you know pay attention and maybe they're like oh wait why don't i go first and i can do this thing see that's when you said popcorn initiative my i thought popcorn initiative was every turn you roll and you get a new initiative slot it might be actually what you're talking about sounds more like the fate system where yeah. where you uh where the players choose like the dm or the fate master camera what they're called in fate um but there's the the gm and then the players yeah. and the players choose get to choose who goes first in a round and then that player can nominate who goes next yeah and they just have to make sure that they nominate the gm because the gm if the gm goes last he can be like well this guy goes and for the next person i'm choosing myself again yeah that's um jeez. Oh, yeah it might not be popcorn initiative i might have the wrong name for it yeah but it is it is a really good system because like you said it keeps keeps everybody's on their toes because you know you might have gone first this round but maybe next round like you're gonna be like oh no i need to wait until this person can heal me so that i can do this other thing or it keeps p- players and the gm on their toes because you don't know what's going to happen next which i think also kind of fits the nature of combat yeah I think too being descriptive of what the player just did as a DM to after one player finishes to kind of do a summary of the events that they did for the next person to keeps them more engaged and visualizing. Yeah, especially if a player just spent five minutes trying to work out exactly how a spell works so they can get the best effect out of it. You know, they might have made five different decisions and then discarded them before finally going with the sixth and being able to summarize they did this then this then this now it's your turn that is Mm -hmm. a really good idea that i have never thought of so thank (laughs) you (laughs) (laughs) it's all a learning thing i'm still learning lots too one of the other things that um people have suggested that i've i forget to do and i really want to want to try to remember to do it Roz young at squirrels of doom suggested pre-rolling initiative for creatures that you know are gonna be in the um session that's that's actually one of the things that i used to do when i was playing around a table um, because one of the sheets that i would prepare after i'd done the maps was i had found this resource that's um it's an initiative tracker and on the left side of the page would be the initiative order it went from 25 down to negative five and it would have it had spots so you could fill in three monsters and i would just fill in like ac health and how many there were and i would have the monster cards there for the rest of their abilities but i would pre-roll the monsters so that i knew that okay spot 12 is the goblins spot 8 is the hobgoblin and spot 20 is the ogre and then when the players roll i just fill them in on, on that list uh, if they rolled the same as the monster, I'd usually just put them above it. I didn't even ask what their, uh, you know, what they would have as a tiebreaker. I just default to players go before the monsters if they get the same number. I remember when you told me about that idea, like, I think shortly after we started making the podcast and I was like, wait, you can do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it saved so much time because, like, I would be completely ready to go when it came to a combat. I was just waiting on the players to give me their initiative and we were off to the races. There was no, cause I, I found uh, before I started doing that, that 
in addition to the players having to roll theirs and figure out all oh, my initiative, I'd be sitting there trying to write down like, okay, I've got four goblins and here's their health and here's the hobgoblin and rolling all of that stuff. But a little bit of prep beforehand can save so much time during the session. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't take long to roll initiative to pre-roll initiative. You could do that in your, in your prep. We should have Roz on the show again. <laughs> um, one thing that I'm I want to get to before we before we run out of time is what kind of time saving tips do you have for stuff outside of combat? Uh, and just as an example, one of my favorite is when the play when the party is traveling. There's no random encounters. There's no like we stop every night and figure out who's on watch. It's okay. You leave the city and time jump you're at the dungeon like I, I might narrate a little bit of like what the roads were like yeah you ran into some bandits but you you drew you uh fought them off really easily because they're bandits and you're level 10 um you know like all, like that kind of thing of just like you were in the town nothing inter- like unless something interesting is specifically meant to happen on their journey like they run into you know the bronze dragon who protects the land disguised as a traveling merchant and he gives them some really cool stuff if nothing interesting is planned to happen then time skips time skips all day every day i like i like cutscenes. i think those can be super helpful i do like uh random encounters uh but i usually have i usually try to have some of those prepared ahead of time like right now one of my uh groups we're playing princes of the apocalypse only uh, they really want to be pirates. Um, so I, and this was before, uh, salt marsh, salt marsh came, came out. It was going to be months before it came out. Um, so I just flooded the whole Deseran Valley and they have a ship that they can go from place to place, but I prepare three possible encounters, um, beforehand, and if we don't run into all of them, then I run into them later. And one of them was griffins that they run into that some other adventurers stole some eggs from them. And it turns out that they are griffins from the Feather Gale Spire. So I gave them another clue to a place uh, through an encounter. And I, the idea of having a couple of encounters prepared, like specific ones, because they're traveling in dangerous territory like that is something that i would probably do like if they were traveling through in the world that i created like the northern deserts where all the goblins and and hobgoblin tribes hang out then yeah they like you know they'd have to be careful and there might be an encounter with some kind of scouting party or something but i think and like even with the the hex crawl that i'm running right now where the players are in control of their their overland travel i still might like rein it in a little bit like i've been thinking about doing random encounter tables but even with theater of the mind and all of that stuff i feel like forcing encounters that's just like well we've got to pause and have an encounter right now that's not integral to the story i'm i just yeah. i don't know how i feel about it really i mean it, it's yeah like, it's up to different dms i think yeah. right you people have different ways that they like to run games and different types of games they like to play and, and i think it depends on the story too if it's yeah. not gonna be fun uh then don't do it It, if it seems tedious then don't do it if um if it's not going to further the story or help them achieve uh get some experience points to be able to um 
uh, fight the baddie in the next town, then um, then if it doesn't matter, don't do it. Um, like, but at the and there there are times too, like for one shots, uh, like when I write a one shot, I do a lot of cutscenes if it's not important what happens between in, in their travel time. Like one of the things that I I am planning to do in the future is a West Marches campaign. Um, kind of centered around um, the strongholds and followers book okay yeah. where the idea is that like they're trying to build a stronghold and they're gonna get um, you know quest options but it's going to be very much a like traveling to this place is going to be dangerous so there's going to be random encounters like it's going to be built into the fabric of the campaign and to me that's where I would use random encounters like you're in a dangerous land you're building up a fortress and so you know everywhere you go you there's a chance of running into something dangerous but for the yeah. campaign that I'm running right now even though it's a hex crawl where they're in control of where they go I really only plan like okay if they go to this tower and investigate it some gnolls are going to show up after they get there and yeah. it's less about what happens on the way there but more about okay, I've sprinkled these islands with cool things. And if they show up at one of these places, something will happen. Yeah, I like, I don't like doing the random encounters right there at the table where I have to roll for it. That's time consuming to me. Yeah. But but pre-rolling or pre-preparing um, some possibilities, I, I feel like uh, it, it is easier to manage. Yeah, like if there was a, if I was playing with a party of people who wanted to do, like, we are going to track all of our rations and our water, and we're going to have to figure out, like, maybe not every single night of the, the, the adventure, who's on watch and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, if we're traveling, and it's going to take us three weeks to get somewhere. Like, maybe it's going to be every three or four nights we have to make sure that we've you know set our watch order and sean might roll for a, a random encounter that happens sometime in the next three days but yeah i think pre pre-rolling like the monster initiatives and pre-figuring out if they're going to run into something i think that's where i would do that kind of random encounter works for me rather than the every night we roll on a table <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I did that for the Chult campaign, and it, it did uh, turn out to be pretty tedious. And, and then when everyone rolled really, uh, everyone rolled the same like range where nothing happened, it felt it felt useless. It felt like it was a waste of time. Uh, which, as a DM, I could have fudged, but <laughs> <laughs> I. But that was that was my first time really doing a lot of random encounters using the table a lot yeah that is kind of i think the the final tool in a dm's toolkit is you know if you're trying to speed things up if you want to like make sure you get to the the nice ending of a session or you're trying to prep there are always ways that you can fudge things and just you know round off some sharp corners and just get through things a little bit faster yeah for mm -hmm. sure um, one of, we did talk about theory of the mind, but we didn't talk about um, tips for uh, for maps if we are going to use a map. I um, really quickly I I tried using campaign cartographer to do mm -hmm. maps, and it's it's a, a very powerful looking piece of software. But if you do not have CAD experience, 
um, computer-aided drawing because the campaign cartographer and the city cartographer and, and dungeon cartographer, as far as I can tell, they're all built on top of some piece of CAD software, which means that they do not draw like anything else like it is it is built on top of something meant to make mechanical and engineering diagrams so which i think for the the era when they were first created probably worked for most of the people that used them but these days um there's a site called pyromancer that's free it's got a lot of great options for making maps and there's uh incarnate which I just recently, I actually uh, purchased a subscription uh, because I wanted more options to make maps. And that's also a really fantastic tool. A little bit nicer looking than Pyromancer, um, but to get most of the, I think most of the fun icons and whatnot, you need to pay for it, which I'm fine doing because it's a great program. Yeah. Yeah, they're both, and they're both web-based. So all you need is a browser. It doesn't matter if you're on Windows, Mac, or Linux, or, I mean, it probably works on your phone, but I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't recommend that. Yeah. I, I think too that uh, players don't need um, anything super fancy. Uh, you can go super basic and just uh, use like one of those dry erase or wet erase um, grid maps the folding ones that you can just have in your bag and just whip out a quick, quick dungeon. Um, That's actually where I ran into problems switching from being around a table to being at roll 20, because when I was around a table, I used a wet erase uh, rollout map and it was fantastic uh, because I could, you know, just with some wet erase markers draw out like, Oh, you move there. Cool. This is what you see now. But with roll 20, part of me, I don't know what it is, but I just felt like because I was on roll 20, because it was on a computer screen, I needed to have nicer maps, which is where Pyromancer and, and Incarnate came in. But what I've found is that it's a lot easier with theater of the mind because I just have to give them an idea of what this town looks like. I don't have to properly map out the entire thing. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't really care about having a whole, like, here's a whole city map thing i i feel like the most important information for them uh for for most players is just like okay what does the room look like what is the room shaped like (laughs) yeah although i will say that there are lots of fantastic artists uh doing stuff on reddit on twitter there's even a couple that i found on patreon who for like a dollar or so a month you'll get a pack of five or six battle maps that are they look fantastic Mm-hmm. so if you're using something like roll 20 you've got a really quick option for here's a beach yeah, yeah. and um victoria fraser i told uh you that they had mentioned about the notebook they also said that they get maps on pinterest they find maps just logged on pinterest yeah people uh, put together lots of collections on there yeah and i use i use uh, uh i use photoshop and when there is a map sometimes it's just faster for me to enlarge the map and print it out on uh print out um the whole map on a bunch of eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper that i can piece together tape together or if you've got time and you're willing to spend a little bit more coin um staples is pretty great yeah um i've printed out a couple of things there like i've actually printed off pdfs like like um player supplements and stuff but i've also i think once or twice I actually printed off a whole map and it was 
really nice. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Kinkos would be the, the equivalent in the States. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, yeah. Kinkos and Staples. I've used both of them for that. And that's for like when I'm going to do a convention uh, and I, I'm going to redo this. I'm going to DM the same game over and over again. I like to do those and get them laminated. Go, I go ahead and spend the money, but it's not necessary. I also have a technique for uh, printing them out on that 8.5 by 11, and I tape together um, sheet protectors so that I can just <laughs> slot them, slot each 8.5 by 11 piece of paper in, and then it folds up really nicely in my bag. That's really cool. Yeah, that's clever. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, I was going to say something else, but I can't remember it. It yeah. must not have been that important. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ma, I think we're, we're getting to the end of our time here. So yeah. uh, I'm going to ask you our traditional closing question, which is if you could go back to when you first started running, what's uh, one piece of advice you'd give yourself about time saving when you're DMing? Oh, uh, I, my biggest thing would be... Um, to just just let it go (laughs) just just let it go of your expectations and your fear and your worry uh one of my big things is when i uh or biggest obstacles is when i feel um unprepared um or caught off guard my brain freezes um but I find the more I practice uh, this one hour preparing and just uh, trying to ad lib and uh, improv as much as I can, uh, the less that brain freeze happens. All right. That's a great piece of advice. Um, So where can people find you online and where can people find your work? Because you've made a bunch of D&D supplements and stuff like that. Um, They can find me on Twitter at M A. A-T-C-R-O-O-K. That's Ma'at Crook without the apostrophe uh, in between my two A's. And then they can find me on ma'atcrook.com where there are links to uh, a lot of my adventures and tools on the DMs Guild and some t-shirts and an actual play that I'm involved in. Yeah, what's the the name of that actual play again? It's called, uh, well... Old Magic Gaming is the group, and we have several different games uh, running. I'm in the one that's called Great Old Ones. I play Nydia, a hag hedge witch. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show again, Ma. It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much, Sean and Jesse. Have a wonderful day. Yeah. You as well. Thank you. All right. Bye. 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 Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. You can find us on social media at, at DMs of Vancouver and also on Facebook. Uh, you can find this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and t- tell your friends about the show. Word of mouth really helps shows like ours grow and find an audience. And we're also part of the Cave Goblin Network. You can find our shows and many others at cavegoblins.com. And you can support us and the rest of the network at patreon.com slash cavegoblins. Hey, my name is Eric. I'm Piers. And this is Podcast vs. Podcast. You're listening to us here on the Cave Goblin Network. We take turns pitching podcasts to each other. We're trying to find a good podcast to do because we don't have any ideas. So turn off whatever show you're listening to. Turn on our show. Hi, I'm Talia Murdoch, and I'm here to find out if you've ever asked yourself... Why Superman and Batman fight? 
or why Batman needs Robin in the first place? Get answers to these questions and more in the Everything Economics series about superheroes on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.